All right, Denevacast is back. We're in some sort of room. I think we're like in like the senior commons. Maybe this is like the fifth year commons. I'm not really sure. <laughs> a little bit of an offshoot. It says it's a computer lab, but we're here. Um, we're with probably the high, most highly requested guest in the history of the Nebacast, Mr. Rinaldi. It's the first time he's ever sat down for an interview, um, which is very exciting. Uh, I made that joke like five times already now. <laughs> but we're here. We're going to get going. We haven't recorded in about two months. We had some setbacks. Uh, Aiden had COVID, and uh, Justin and I are busy making some film studies projects. So, you know, it's been a while. So, how are you guys doing? Feeling amazing, honestly. Last week I was still feeling pretty crappy from COVID, but it's great to be back. The weather's been amazing, and I'm stoked to be here. Absolutely, feel the same. On my drive here, it's a lot of green, and it just it makes you feel good. You know, the time's changing, season's coming, and summer's around the corner. We have definitely been through filming a lot, and that's been going well. Shout out Mr. Weintraub, shout out Gravity's Pull, and I'm excited to continue to do that. But yeah, very happy to be here, nonetheless. All right, uh, Mr. Nolly. Uh, you know, you were just away, uh, you were at a wedding, you weren't getting married though, No. Um, so you're back in Newton, and you've been here for a while, so how many years have you been teaching at Newton, Seth? It's been 17 years, so fall of 2005 was, was uh, when I started, and that was three years out of college. I would say at Newton, Seth, now you're kind of most known for teaching, you know, CompGov and NMC, mm -hmm. was that always the case? No, no, my first year I taught only freshmen. I taught freshman history probably for the first eight or ten years. Yeah, it, when you're here for as long as I've been here, it starts to blur together. Like the, the, the breaks change. And you, you realize that the most when you run into someone that you taught a long time ago in public and the name is nowhere in your memory. You know, it's like I don't, I barely remember you let alone your name. And you remember your teacher's names. I still remember most of my high school teacher's names. If I saw them now, even though they would be elderly, I would remember them. But I would not, res I would not expect them to, to remember me, right? Um, so I taught freshmen. Uh, my second year, I started teaching uh, a linked class, which was kind of born out of the smaller learning communities experiment, which started a few years before uh, I arrived here. And New Media Communities has kind of grown out of the smaller learning community experiment, which is to basically combine two disciplines, you know, in, in NMC and in this link classes, English and history, and, and see if you can, you know, make something more out of that combination. And so I did that for a while, and then maybe about eight or nine years in, there was some demand to teach this uh, international political science AP and no one else really wanted to do it and I had yet to teach a senior class and so I said sure I'll, I'll try it out. I think I know three of the six countries pretty well and I could probably wrap my head around the other three. Um, and then about five years ago um, after about two years of development that Mr. Weintraub, Dave Weintraub really headed up, we started New Media Communities and that program has just grown and grown. Next year we're going to welcome about a hundred sophomores into the into the program. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> did you, so did you always know you wanted to be a teacher? Yeah, you know, I, I did. Um, well, I would say in high school. Uh, there was kind of I, I'm embarrassed to admit to say this now, like looking back on it, but 
when I was in high school, I didn't necessarily have a lot of respect for the people that were teaching me. <laughs> I haven't had this sense that I could, I could do, I could do better. Like this, like why would you teach the lesson this way when you could do it this way? And once I actually arrived in the classroom and, and taught freshman history, uh, a class that you know I, I think there's a lot of value in it. It's important to understand the world uh, a long time ago, but it's not exactly the kind of course that a lot of students arrive at, especially once you get past the world religions. And there's just kind of the kind of organic interest. Um, I think that in the sophomore or junior course, once you get up to the present day, kids can kind of connect what they know in their lives to what they're learning in class. That's not something you can really do in freshman history. I think the people that really do it well find a way to, to make those connections. It wasn't something that I found easy early on. And so once I was in front of a classroom, and you know, these were, when you start teaching, you, you work all day at school, and then you go home and you put in four or five hours just to get, just, just to get ready for the next day. Barely ready. You, know, you write two or three lesson plans because the first two are no good. You're like you know, and then you get to the third one, you think this is going to work, and then it fails. Right? It's just that kids are bored; they can't answer the questions. It's too easy. It's too hard. Like you just you just keep missing the target. And at that point, I, I realized how presumptuous it was of me to judge my high school teachers. And here I was teaching in in Newton, in a, a community where almost all students and families prioritize education. I grew up in a working class community where, you know, most of my classmates were going to go to college, but maybe for two years. A lot of them were going to work for their parents who are contractors or, you know, go into a trade. Like, high school was just something that you kind of had to do because you were legally required to. So I was like, now I'm imagining teaching kids who already don't even need high school as a stepping stone. So my respect for my teachers went up immensely, but, but I found my way into the classroom because I thought I could do it better, only to realize it takes a lot of work. <laughs> sure. That, yeah. that trial and error, uh, I guess, regimen and, and, and learning that way, I'm sure, sure that's, that's, I mean, all three of us can say that's, you're one of the best teachers that I've had personally. And, Thank and you. You're definitely up there. Um, on the theme of being itself for so long, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've, you've seen and, and interacted with an, a lot of students that you've highlighted in the past. Yeah. You've also, I'd assume, seen a big shift in just how the self uh, community is, especially. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure self is very different 17 years ago than it is today and how yeah. you structure lessons. What have you learned? And just tell us about that transition. Yeah, um, there are a lot of changes. Uh, south, when I got here, was a much tougher place. There was, we talk a lot about social and emotional learning these days. I mean, that's something that teachers talk a lot about, but I'm sure it, as students you hear, hear about it as well. Um, we didn't really care a lot about social and emotional. Um, there were teachers when I arrived here that prided themselves on giving one A per class, you know, or just had a reputation that they didn't give A's out. And that was known. Um, South was a weirder place. I think that um, there was just more, like teachers were more eccentric, students were more eccentric. Um, and I think that for kids who are ambitious and creative and 
willing to take chances, this place was a really great place to be. I think for a lot of kids that hadn't quite found their way to express themselves, this place could sometimes be really intimidating. Uh, you know, for, for a kid who's 15 who just thinks like, I just want to go to school and write a paper. Like having teachers who act like professors and um, my classmates divided between kids that act like graduate students and weird New York artists is like, like <laughs> is really intimidating, you know? And, and I think that there was a sense over time that this was a great place to be if you knew who you were and you had a loud personality and you were willing to, to kind of to, um, take up a lot of space. There were going to be teachers that were going to celebrate you and give you resources and, and kind of push you in the right direction. And at first, as a young teacher, that was a really exciting place to be because the, the best things about South were really um, electric and experimental. And it felt like as a teacher, you were always pushed to be uh, a little bolder and, um, and almost like a little wilder. I remember my first year here, there's a teacher that taught here. She's no longer here. She was doing a simulation on the Vikings, and she brought in all these Nerf swords, and she was like, we're going to have, like, a battle. And my department chair, who's not my department chair now, was like, that's amazing. Tell me what the, the logic behind it is. <laughs> and then they, and he would listen, and he'd go, okay, do it. You know, and, and you just hear screaming and yelling, and kids are hitting each other with Nerf swords. And I would look at that and think, okay, I'm not going to do that. But, like, you feed off that energy, right? And I think we can all agree that that doesn't happen itself anymore. Now, probably for half the kids in the class, they thought this is the, the best thing ever because I got to act like a Viking today. And there are probably a bunch of other kids that are just thinking, I just want to get an 85 on the test. I don't want to get, a, like, a con concussion, right? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so that was South in 2005. And I think that... In some ways, the kind of weirdness, the boldness, that kind of electric pulse has tamed a little bit. But I think that something has emerged in its place that's, that's, that's worthy and you could probably make a case is better. The South has become a much more democratic place to go to school. Um, so, you know, 15 years ago, no one was making podcasts then. Like it's, It was like a v early in its formation. But let's just imagine for a second, like, people were making podcasts 15 years ago you know the three of you would have been making a podcast because you're willing to like dedicate a lot of time this is a project you care about um and if we had podcasts 15 years ago Denabicast would have existed right because mm -hmm. we because because in some ways that stayed the same that, that there are a few students that are really willing, willing to pour themselves into something special give it an identity work really hard um try to be bold do something memorable something that's going to shape the community but it's South today, so 15 years ago, you would have done that, that would have been great, and that would be it. Now today, because of new media communities, but just I think the willingness for a lot of teachers to try out other things, probably 30, 40% of the senior class will graduate having made at least one podcast in their career here. So there's a way, and you know, when I got here, we didn't have, we had a film studies class, but it was, you watched and wrote about films, you didn't make films. Mr. Weintraub ushered in that transition so in the early days you'd have a few kids who were like we're gonna make a big film we got a little bit of money we got some gear we're gonna you know, you know some crazy epic thing and you know not every film in the senior film festival is going to be some crazy epic film but what 40 percent of the senior class will 
finished high school making a film, right? Not all of them are going to be great, not all of them are going to be cinema, but they'll have had that experience. So I think in some ways we've kind of also thought, okay, we're going to lose a little bit of the weirdness, the boldness, the, um, the kind of experimental culture if we democratize all of this, but more kids will also have access to it. And I think that's, that's a better place. Um, yeah. I mean, there's also all the stuff about grading and grade inflation, and, but that's, you know, another conversation. That's, maybe for this podcast, maybe not. No, grading is wildly boring, to be honest. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I've been, yeah. I, no, I've, I've, grading is a very boring thing to talk about. I've yeah. talked about it way too much in my time. So, um, you talk about what South looked like in 2005, and mm-hmm. you kind of talked about the rise of, you know, media. Um, 20 years after that, you know, Newton said in 2025. Mm-hmm. What do you think kind of the media landscape at South looks like then um, with yeah. the rise of new media, with the rise of film studies? Um, do you think it's going to be kind of similar to where it is now on a, on a steady growth? Or do you think it's taken off more than it has? So I'd like to see it uh, become... I, I mean, when Dinebola moved online 10 years ago? No, five or six years ago. You know, the first few years, like, Dinebola was a solid website, but... Sometimes the content didn't refresh that often, you know, and, and being a website, especially as more kids were getting onto like app based social media, it was like, does anyone listen to, or no, does anyone like go to Denebola to like, mm-hmm. get the content on yeah. the website? And like now that Denebola, the website is just like one hub in this larger kind of like, I don't know what you'd even call it, like media corporation right yeah that's producing podcasts that's that has several instagram feeds and like the brilliant move to post the attendance on on instagram Mm -hmm. right and i assume probably some other platforms like whoever figured that out do you know who figured that out no it's a long time ago but that was yeah the fact that they got the rights to that yeah, was probably the most important thing that ever happened. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. right. It's, it's like, how do we get daily engagement? What What's mm-hmm. the one thing kids want to know every day if their teacher is here? Like, once you figure that out, and you could have gone ten years and never figured that out. Like, <laughs> you know, like that will that that is daily engagement. Mm-hmm. So now they subscribe to the feed, and we can put other content mm-hmm. on the feed. And I think what you've done with Dynamicast, and hopefully you find people to inherit it what Tay is doing with Fit Gem Friday, I think it's just kind of pushing out what we think of as a school newspaper. When I got here, there were two print newspapers, Denebola and Lionsworth. Denebola was kind of what Lionsworth is now. Like, it reported, it was the school newspaper, so it reported on school news. And the Lionsworth used to be a little bit more artsy, uh, a little bit more of a tabloid. There used to be a lot of, um, they don't do this anymore. Uh, I think Ms. Chapman tried to, to, to kind of get this out of the, uh, the bloodstream of, of Lions Road, but they used to have a lot of gossip columns, and they would be anonymous. But, like, I'm 17 years old, and I went to this party on Saturday night two months ago because, of course, there's only six issues, but, like, and this is the crazy thing I did. And you'd be reading it, and you'd be like... <laughs> Oh my god! Like, we 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 have to bring in like therapists and a police officer if we knew the identity of this person. You know, like, you know, stories of just listener use your imagination, right? Like, I don't, I'm not gonna put it on the record, but you know, there was a lot, like a lot of gossipy stuff like that, and they would use aliases or they would make it anonymous. 
And yeah, there was a lot of like walking right up to the line. And so Dinebola was very professional and tucked in and lines were was kind of wild and tabloidy. And then um, Dinebola went online. There was, there was kind of internal changes. Some, someone retired and it's too boring to go into now. Um, although it was, you know, significant at the time. Uh, and Dinebola went online and it really did feel like it was being put out to pasture. Like that's the end of Dinebola. Like eventually some kids will say, well, I don't want to put in all this effort on a website that no one goes to. And Lion's Roar has continued. It's kind of become what Dinebola uh, was because there's not really anything in Lion's Roar that you read anymore. Like there'll be political debates, mm -hmm. but it, I think thankfully it has kind of moved beyond the kind of like saucier <laughs> uh, content. Um, yeah, but I, I think I think it, by 2025 there's a potential for like I even wonder. I, I think some competition would be really good. I think that what was great about having Dinebola and Lions Roar in print is they were always trying to kind of outdo each other, and there was a real push of like, well, well if they got that story, we got to do one better. You know, if there were a few different podcasts, you work really hard in this, but I think you probably also recognize that if there was someone else who was you know, maybe put, putting out episodes a little more frequently or getting certain kinds of guests, you'd be like, okay, we really have to, yeah. you know, we want the listeners too. So I hope, you know, as COVID recedes and the kind of culture of just being blasé that came out of it, you know, disappears, like there's that kind of fire again. Um, and, I, and I think that it's exactly around these kinds of media productions where that can happen. That that'd be crazy. Yeah. Um, so speaking a little bit more on the how, in your words, that South has kind of became a little more like outgoing and electric in some ways, yeah, yeah. but also kind of how media plays a big role in all of mm. our lives. What do you think about the role of the smartphone in your seventeen Ooh. years here? And like, <laughs> yeah, it's it must have been a crazy change. Yeah, and it was really slow. So the iPhone comes out in two thousand eight, and at first it was a luxury item. You know, maybe one kid had an iPhone. And you were too young to remember this, but iPhones, when they came out, were operating off 3G networks, which were really, really slow. Um, so you really, and students couldn't access the Wi-Fi in the school maybe until about six years ago. It was blocked. Now, a few kids would get the password. They'd pass it around. But so at first, having an iPhone was nice if you needed if you really needed information, but it was not something, it was not a device that you could use all the time. And the battery life was five hours. Um, and then more people had them and then everyone had them. And it was probably at that point around 2013, 2014. It was also at that point that we started buying kids Chromebooks, but more kids had their own laptops where there were just screens everywhere. But it happened so slowly that I think a lot of teachers, especially, I'm not really a younger teacher anymore, but mm -hmm. I think we thought, okay, let's, let's see where this goes. And maybe they can be tools and maybe, you know, some kids take much better notes on a computer than they do in their notebooks. You know, it's much easier to rearrange the information afterwards than, you know, recopy all of your notes. Uh, I can type faster than I can write. So, you know, I think most students are in the same, same place. Um, but then you really started to notice that kids weren't with you. You know, you'd, you'd say something 
in two or th- the the thing that used to in a dumb joke that either kids laugh at or groan at. <laughs> like now, just two kids are laughing and one kid's groaning, and or you go in something really serious, and there's someone like with a smile on their face, or they're kind of just like they're not res- like you notice how like two thirds of the class right now is really solemn, and you're just. <laughs> yeah, you know, not. Uh, so I think it, I think a lot of us were kind of at a crisis point right before COVID, feeling like we've we've lost a huge amount of our classroom and the community that can be built mm-hmm. when everyone's really looking at each other, really listening to each other, uh, not thinking about these external uh, devices. And I think a lot of us as teachers like recognize that I mean, if I was 16 and you gave me two screens, you know, I wouldn't be, I mean, you know, boredom is part of school, right? Like that's like, a, I, I don't expect everyone to be fully engaged all the time in my class because for every person that takes comparative politics because they love politics, someone else is just plugging a hole in a schedule and they heard it's a good class. You know? That doesn't mean that every single lesson they're like, I am so focused. You know, I spaced out a lot in school too. And there's a way in which, like, spacing out but still appearing present helps things go along, whereas there's a tipping point. Once enough people are spaced out, particularly looking at a screen and looking, not looking at each other, where, like, sometimes as a teacher, you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing up here. Like, I feel like I'm talking, but I'm not really... It's weird when I, when I know only five or six people are really listening. It gets in your own head. It throws you off. You're, you're, you start having... Two conversations at once in your head. What am I teaching? And then like, is that kid really like looking at that stupid thing right now? You know, are they really playing that game right yeah. now? Like, we're talking about this. Like, <laughs> I remember when we were yeah. talking about Roe v. Wade in class last week, and yeah. they're like four kids just like playing online poker with yeah. each other the yeah. whole time. Yeah, and it's, yeah. There's, there's a point at which like, as a teacher, you're going to have so many emotional responses to that. Sadness? Like, are you really that dead to the world that you can't like like pick up on this anger like don't you realize that there's some people in this class that are hurting right now and this is like like you don't you're not doing it as an act of aggression but like you don't think some of your female peers are thinking like i won't say it on the microphone right (laughs) um and like confusion like what do i do do i do i draw the line do i throw down the hammer or do i just ignore it and just say you know what if that's your choice, you're, you're a senior, you're an adult, you can make your own decisions. But once you get there, you're not in the place you need to be, especially when you're having a conversation about Roe versus Wade, where like every word matters, right? Yeah, absolutely. There are some students that need to leave that class feeling that they were seen, that their experience was affirmed. Even if the conversation doesn't go exactly where they wanted it to, it's not my job to make a, pl- a, a space where everyone's political viewpoints are, are validated, but at least feel that their fears and anxieties were, were recognized. And when you have the screen, the screen is then a portal to so many other opportunities. Whereas the person who's just in their head playing poker, <laughs> or whatever, right? It's like that doesn't read the same way. I think that that's the hardest thing is for a lot of young people, they don't perceive how others see them, particularly adults see them when they're using their devices. Mm-hmm. I think that most young people perceive it as relatively innocent. I'm just opting out. I'm not doing anything outwardly disruptive. And it's like, how do you describe to someone 
you know, two people are talking in class. <laughs> the sound of your voice is, is distracting. Understood, right? Mm -hmm. You may not like that I'm telling you this, but I think we can all appreciate that, that you know, hearing two voices at yeah. once is distracting. Playing online poker, well, I don't, I'm not doing anything disruptive, right? Yeah. And it's like, and I think is, I think that's why a lot of us are starting to think about something more like a zero tolerance policy next year. Because in the past, when I've tried to come up with some sort of, like, well, this this time it's appropriate, and this time it's not, and if I ask you to close your screen, and you know, it just doesn't work, right? For it's sure. and it's not just young people, right? I mean, it's a, everywhere we go in in the world, yeah. Um, so you go to the movie theater and have people on their phones, right? yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's tough, and and I I think a lot of us beat ourselves up because we know we should do more, but it feels like a fight you don't want to have. And then, like the real question is, okay, so what if what if someone takes out their phone and they have an iPhone 13 Pro, right? Am I gonna am I gonna say, give me your twelve hundred dollar device? You know, like the old, like you watch the old like Simpsons episodes, and like the teacher has like a slingshot, you know, and like some chewing gum, and like a, you know, a dirty magazine or something. Like the total value of all the items in the drawer of like twenty years of confiscated material is twenty five dollars. Right? You know? It's like you know, it's just not. Give me that note you're passing, right? On paper that the school supplies, right? You know, maybe the lead in your pencil, a penny, right? It's like not. But it's like the $1,200 device, which I am now going to carefully carry over to my desk and place on a pillow so that in no way the lens is scratched, the screen is scratched. Because that's the other thing. You're like, what am I going to do with it, right? Like, put your, give me your computer, your MacBook Pro. Well, we just bought that yesterday. It was, you know, $1,900. So that's the other thing is you just get caught up in your own head and you're like, I don't know what to do. You can also only take so much. Like, what? I'm sitting here, like, I have a phone, a computer, yeah. and a watch. Right. The reason, right, like, right, right. my watch was, I should say this, but the reason my watch was so valuable to me in my sophomore year is because I could respond to texts on my watch yeah. in class. But yeah. now it's like, well, I don't even need a watch because I have my computer and my phone at the yeah. whole time. So, right. right. And, like, you spoke about boredom in class. And I, I would say, like, yeah. when I was younger, I'd go home sometimes and be kind of bored of school and be like, well, we did nothing today. I didn't yeah. very much. I just don't really have that feeling as much anymore because when I'm not doing something that's engaging in class, well, yeah, I'll open up Twitter yeah. and I'll do something else and I'll, and I'll you know, play a game because it's accessible to me and it's really hard to put away. Um, and like you, you know, you wrote some um, paper up for one of your sophomore classes and it said a line like, don't play any games. Um, and a kid wrote back that said, what does this mean? Yeah. Like it, they couldn't quite grasp the yeah. fact that, yeah. um, you know, playing a game in class wasn't, or like doing that on your computer wasn't a part of it. Yeah. And I think like, you know, you talked about the distraction, um, where a distraction used to be like two kids were talking and, and you know, you'd be way too outgoing, you'd have to like, you know, what guys quiet down. Right. So what's kind of the like plan, I would say like going forward at South to, you know, it's to work backwards in that sense. Right. And going along with yeah. that, friend, and you know, from just my experience itself particularly, in the classroom feels very different from what I can remember freshman year versus being a senior, especially when it comes to technology. Yeah. As you highlighted, these devices in front of us are make everything so accessible when it comes to media, entertainment, whatever, the whole yeah. nine, right? But really, that's both a good thing and a bad thing. Because mm -hmm. like you said, it's so easy to when you're not being stimulated by a specific topic or class mm -hmm. to just 
check out and then well boom you have so much else and there's a whole world that you can look in in your technology and so you know you can't like really blame the students sometimes but as you said there's a time and a place there have been instances in the class where we'll be watching a documentary about a tragedy and then no later than 30 seconds you hear the clash royale like do 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 start playing <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. wow yeah, and so that's that's a huge issue. There's a lack of empathy nowadays, yeah. and yeah. that that's both on the screen and off the screen. Yeah. I think that's that's a huge issue. Go along with what Brendan said before. One of that tangent, COVID has made that line very blurry yeah. when it comes yeah. to what's what you can do and what mm-hmm. you should be able to and what you shouldn't do in the classroom when it comes to technology. Because mm-hmm. a year, three fourths of a year, all online. Right. I mean. Right. You're on the screen and there's, boom, there's a video game in your right. taskbar. Right. So I'm sure, speaking on myself particularly, it has been difficult going back into the classroom mm-hmm. and realizing, oh, let's not, you know, open whatever and right. just stay focused. So would you say, going along with what Brennan said, going forward, that COVID has made progress in terms of technology in the classroom mm-hmm. or been more of a setback? It's been a huge setback. Um and I think it's because last year we just gave up on the battle. You know, sophomore year, you put that away, put that away, put that away. Last year, how can I say to a student, so during hybrid, student in the class is using their phone. Put your phone away. Well, the student at home has their phone out. The screen is off. That was, right? that was like the funniest thing. It's like yeah. one of the first like like classroom norms at the beginning yeah. of COVID school. Like, don't use your phones. And it'd be like, what? how yeah. could you ever? It's like, what are you gonna walk into my house and take my phone? It's right, like, right. It's you know, it's it just a joke. Like, I, I, I guess you could have said, well, when you're at home, you can use your phone. <laughs> you know? But it just it, especially because I think that in January when we returned, we were trying to prove that we can do this. You know, there were, there were teachers and students and families that thought it's, it's not safe. And there were teachers and students and families that said it's time to return. And, and I was in the camp that I thought it's time to return. So for me, it was like, I want to prove that this works. And I know that every student is here voluntarily. Because we saw that. There would be kids whose turn it would be to, to, to be in class and they would just show up on Zoom. <laughs> and so part of it was, you know, if you come to school and feel like, well, the teacher is going to constantly police my behavior, I'll just go home and do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I don't even have to like be in class, right? Um, so I was kind of caught up in this contradiction. Like, you know, I, I want these students to be here. I want them to feel comfortable. Now, if they were like glued to their phone, I would say something. But if they were constantly checking or I saw some other tabs open, if it became a problem, I would say something, but I really let a lot slide because I was also thinking, I want to prove that this works. I want the seven kids here. I want the seven kids that are here to say, yeah, it's good. We can, we can do this so that it, the next time we open up, another five come along or another yeah. ten come along. We also had no conversation. The school has had no conversation about technology really since the Chromebooks were distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that some teachers are very good at just drawing a line. You know, there are some classes where I, I walk by and I look in and no one's, no one's on a phone. There are no computers out. I think some teachers are very good at being rigid, saying that's it. Uh, 
I think for any of us that, that struggle with that, that kind of rigidity, um, we have yet to come up with an effective policy. I think a lot of us would just love to have department or school-wide policies. So you could just say, hey, I know this to you seems subjective, but the school policy is, yeah. you know. Uh, it's terrible to say, but I, I think that would, that would go a long way. Um, so yeah, COVID was a huge setback. Yeah, uh, huge. Yeah. I kind of feel like general discipline um, in that sense is down. Mm. Uh, maybe it's because I'm only taking classes with seniors and you know, we're more mature and we're kind of learning the ways of high school. But I kind of felt that when I was a you know, freshman or a sophomore, you'd see kids like getting told to go you know, down to their dean or, or do stuff like that. Yeah. I have not seen in any of my classes this year you know, student really being as disciplined as they were mm-hmm. in the past. Do you think that's true? Yes, yes. And it's, that is true not just in New South, but most places. There was an opinion piece in the New York Times. This is going to sound like comparative politics. <laughs> well, it's a good class. Yeah, there was an opinion piece in the New York Times last weekend by a professor who teaches in Alabama, and he teaches at a small, like, religious private school and then a larger public university. Mm-hmm. And he said, students don't come to class or they don't come to class on time. They turn in work late or not at all. The quality of the work is, you know, just like incomplete sentences, like poor grammar. From students that you know can, can, this is like work that is knocked out to knock it out. Mm -hmm. Um, From students that you know can perform at a higher level. Students don't participate in class. They're just looking at their screens all the time. And he recognizes all of this has been part of a long pattern, but in the last two years it's been severe. Both cases, like most universities and most high schools, these students were on Zoom. Uh, what's interesting is it does seem like schools that never interrupted. Obviously, they interrupted in the spring of 2020, but the schools that reopened fully in September of 2020, a lot of the Catholic schools, they're not noticing the behaviors as severely. That's totally anecdotal. Um, mm-hmm. I have not actually read. I don't know if anyone's actually done like a study. Right? study. And of course... A lot of these private schools want to tell that it's all normal here. Yeah. You know, pay the money and your kid will be fixed. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like it's good for the brand to yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm, I'm also as much as I throw that fact out there, I'm also a little wary of its validity. But I'm reading this about a, a professor in Alabama, right? Like, talk about different place yeah. than you. And I'm just thinking, wow, is this guy just like writing about my? I won't say which class, uh, <laughs> you know, my classes. Uh, and I was like, okay, so something, something larger happened here because what we were talking about with, with Zoom is, like, I have to keep reminding myself, this isn't just Newton South. Like, this is a, a nationwide problem. And I assume in a lot of European schools, the same thing. So what do we do with that? Like, it's... And, and as a teacher, I think it can be overwhelming to think, if this is a problem of that scale, and I have to figure it out in my classroom on my own, I mean, you know, I don't necessarily want someone in Congress to tell me what to do, <laughs> but, but it is also like, I, so I have, to, I have to figure this out on my own. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of people feel a sense of kind of, Frustration and desperation. There's a lot of news about teacher burnout. Mm. Teachers are going to take early retirement. People, they're 
early in the profession who are, who are leaving, so just thinking, I'd rather, you know, I'm 29, I'll, I'll, I'll just start a new career, because I'll still be able to retire at a reasonable age if I, if I hit the reset button. Um, you know, I've had those conversations here at South, and sometimes I think it's people just blowing off steam. You know, you, you're feeling something in the moment, you say, I want to quit my job. And, you know, if you said, really, sign here? They would, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm not leaving. But, but no one used to say that. That wasn't the kind of conversation that just came up in the lunchroom. Uh, and now, I think a lot of people have at least, I wouldn't say, like, they've indulged the idea. You know, in the way that we all indulge bad ideas sometimes. And we're not planning on going through with them. But if you say them out loud, you know it's a little bit more real than if you didn't. I know that you've done a lot of work, um, you know, with the Newton Teachers Association. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, have there been any discussions about that? Or has it really just been, you know, kind of people noticed on their own and, and that's been kind of all you've been given? Yeah, I, you know, generally when it comes to teacher-student interactions, the union, legally speaking, doesn't have much, um, like, purview over that. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the laws just don't really allow you to, yeah. to negotiate that. Um, It doesn't mean that you couldn't. I do think it's, I mean, I, in some ways, it feels like the problem wouldn't be hard to, it, like, I feel like at least the, the first thing you could try is just to say, what if we just, like, tried to go back to 2012? You know, just like, mm -hmm. you know, yes, you have a free block, you're in the senior commons, whatever, you can use your stuff. In class, they're like, the teacher is going to define what you're using. You know, new media communities, when you're making a documentary, you're making a podcast, you use the computers. They're a valuable tool. Um, and you could have more constructive conversations at that moment. You know, well, you notice how your three group mates are like writing a script right now and you're playing a video game? Like, let's talk about this. But when it's just a continuation of an ongoing behavior, it makes, makes it harder to do the intervention. So I think if we just hit the reset button, so we know this is going to be unpopular with students. We know that there's going to be a lot of anger and a lot of resentment that, that we're jumping backwards but we're gonna try it you know we'll, we'll see what happens and then we'll go from there um you could even do it as like a two like first term experiment yeah. like what if we you know doesn't mean you, you teachers can't have digital assignments it's so hard yeah. you know i don't know yeah but you know so many teachers adapted into the model of like yeah. well you can just take a picture of your homework right they're right. like i still like for certain classes, instead of filling it out, doing a worksheet, mm -hmm. circling the answers and passing it in, well, you know, just take a picture of it and I'll look at it there. And I, yeah. So I think it's, like media has become so big in the classroom that it would... I guess, you, you, could, I guess you could have a situation though where you say, we're gonna work on our notebooks for mm -hmm. 55 minutes. Now last 10 minutes, here's the exit ticket. Mm -hmm. Everyone take out their computers, log on to Schoology. I mean, it is sometimes amazing then you, then how long it takes students to log on to Schoology because somehow they have to go through, like, the Newton South web. Like, they don't understand www.schoology.com is going to... Like, sometimes students that... This is maybe going to be edited out because it's a little bit, like, inside baseball. But students that still haven't bookmarked the classroom notebook and go through Schoology to get to it... Well... 
You do it quickly because it takes oh. some some of the other people in your class. Well, I have it in my like, Google, I have it in my Google Drive, so I guess okay. That's, okay. Yeah, I linked it there, to my Google there's Drive. There's still like one student that I, like if two three minutes of people are halfway through the seven minute video they're supposed to watch, and this person's still. That's because they just. I think well, yeah, it's, because, <laughs> it's yeah. because they only start once I turn. Once the you corner, turn around the right? corner, yeah, um, and they, they try to navigate into. The, you mentioned this one time. It's like, well, how is this person eight minutes into the video and everybody else is two minutes into the yeah, video? It's like, right, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you could try that just kind of reset. Yeah, and I think that's gonna. I'm gonna try next year, yeah. and I I feel like with seniors you're gonna do okay because. First term senior year is the ultimate honeymoon. Everyone wants an A for their transcripts. And they'll jump a little higher than students at most other places, right? Mm -hmm. um, new media communities is a little harder because you have a lot of square pegs mm -hmm. in, in the class, and they're going to be more students are going to say, but this is new media communities. You know? yeah. uh, so why do we have to use notebooks? So I feel like in CompGov, those first few months, you know, you could say, jump, and the students say, how high, right? You know, and, um, so we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. There's so many little things, too, that just make it so complicated. Like, as we were talking about earlier, we'll be in class and you'll be in the midst of a lecture. And then I'll look across it, and the student knows who he is. And sure, right, I doubt right, he's right. going to listen to this, but he'll yeah. be on his phone, not just on his phone. With his AirPods in, yeah, and yeah. so that just that just shows everybody in the classroom, including the teacher, that they're not even trying at right. that point in time. Right. And right. with the video thing, tabs are also just yeah, you can't monitor every every student's tab. Right, right. So it's just yeah. at that point, what do you do? And to be clear, our fellow students who are listening to the Nebuchadnezzar, maybe not seniors, and are directly don't agree with this. Speaking candidly and being honest here, I've noticed specifically from this year. Classes in which that's been a norm, in which yeah. you know you can't be on your electronics as frequently, and there will be on paper physical work that you have yeah. to turn in. I've noticed I've learned more and mm -hmm. retained yeah. more information yeah. from those courses. That's yeah, right. yeah. I mean, speaking for myself, last year in like half my classes, me and Jonas in our class, we'd be yeah. playing FIFA or like Call of Duty together with <laughs> yeah. our cameras off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like it's just this unlearning that we all have to do, yeah. and it's yeah. so. Mm -hmm. it's so brutal and I've mm -hmm. never been like really a believer of like that almost like kind of I know this is a big word but like authoritarian yeah. feeling no, that's when the teachers exactly take, take your yeah. phone and like I kind of firmly believe like I used to be a good always engaged student yeah. and my mind is scrambled yeah, yeah. and yeah. and it also kind of hits that much closer like speaking on what you were saying about teachers across the nation so my mom's also a high school teacher mm -hmm. and she teaches in a school which is much different from Newton South. Yeah. And whenever she used to talk about her problems at that school, I would be like, Oh, this is not an issue that would happen at South. This is so much yeah. different. And this year she would this year and last year she'd literally like sometimes be in tears, so frustrated that no students were engaged, the yeah. cameras were never on, and I'm like, That's probably how my teachers feel, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I, I I don't know. I I don't know the answers. I don't think yeah. anybody knows the answers, but yeah. something's got to change, I feel like. I think for any teacher that was here in, you know, in the Middle Ages, we're <laughs> 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 uh, still using stone tablets, you know, it's, there, there is that kind of sense, like, I think we can do that. Like, it's, like, it's so funny, we, 
20 minutes ago we were saying, you know, students used to talk to each other and that'd be disruptive. I'm almost happy now when students talk to each yeah. other in class. You know, it's like 30, wrap up in 30 seconds yeah. because you're actually acknowledging this other human being, which is more than I can say for the, you know, the kid that's staring into their screen. You know, it's like, yes, I would prefer that you're with the agenda, but, you know, you are having a human interaction with another human, not mediated by technology. Um, so we'll see. It's going to be, it's going to be an experiment. I think that's, that's a challenge going forward, but it's it's essential because we're already, I think, so overwhelmed by all of these inputs in a day, and it makes it harder as the challenges of living in the modern world become more immense. It's so easy just to let these things kind of wash over you um, because there's just too, it's too much information, and we kind of combine like news and entertainment too easily and that ability to kind of stop and pause and process is going to be more important in the next 30 years than it probably was in the last 30 years and if young people across the board just don't have that ability to to mediate um, and we've seen the damage done to adults right like facebook has changed the way that a large portion of americans think about politics and uh, I don't think that Facebook is solely responsible for what's happened in this country over the last 10 years, but I think partially just seeing people in my own life, how they you know, respond to the kind of constant updates and the way that Facebook kind of promotes like gossipy news and sensational news. And did you hear what this person just said? Kind of like style news, you know, mm. same thing with Twitter, right? It's like mm. this person said this in 140 characters or 240 characters. And, and now there's a, huge response and you know there's, um, people are upset by it like there's never that ability to kind of slow down and say what's the bigger picture what information do I need to take into consideration I don't know that Americans were ever really good at that but I think they were they were they were a little better at it in in, in past times and that's going to be only more more necessary so you know obviously solving it in Newton South doesn't save the world but I think it's part of a broader experiment that educators have to engage with I think that it's it's hard, um, you, you, um, you know, especially in you know at a school like Newton South, trying to find you know where the line for how you're going to teach um, certain things about you know politics and, and then using different media tools. Um, you know, for a class like New Media Communities, where you're you know going so de deeply into um, certain outlets and like you said the way that news and entertainment have been so combined, I, you know, I'm actually, um, I did a paper for my final paper for like Mr. Lee and, and Lang about this, um, but like how some of the major, um, like big documentaries that have been put out, like, um, making of a murder and stuff like that mm -hmm. are way more entertainment than they are pure journalism. Right. And I, I think that makes it hard in school, um, for kind of a current events class to, you know, teach those certain things. Yeah. You know, it's, I feel like the conversation has kind of gone in this direction of, like, all the things that are wrong. Um, like, to balance it out, I think that, like, I don't want to say that new media communities is, is, is the solution to the problem. Yeah. But seeing the energy and the passion that's, uh, that's coming out of my students right now who are working on a documentary mm -hmm. also kind of gives you a sense that as we 
move forward, we want to take some inspiration from what worked in the past, but we can't just return to the past. Because I'm seeing some of the best, most authentic learning right now, having students doing a project that I've never done before. Um, they just have, they're doing documentaries on various topics, I won't go through the whole assignment, but just the, like various topics from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, kind of things that are still relevant today and we probably see a little bit differently 30 years onwards. Um, and the interviews the students are getting are amazing, the, the connections they're making, the amount of work they're putting into it is, is really admirable. So, and once every group got a little bit of steam, they have also uh, stopped playing games and getting distracted. Like they're really putting in like from minute zero to minute 65, minute 75 work the entire time. And they're working during their free blocks. And So you look at that and think, okay, there's something here too that means that Yes, it would be really great to be able to give a lecture, assign a reading, and have students have a constructive discussion. And I think every student should be able to do that. But to say that you should do that every day or even most of the time is ignoring the like amazing learning that's happening with this project. And so part of me is also thinking, like, we need to harness that too. We need to teach students the self-discipline to, to kind of sustain attention, but we also need to recognize that Sometimes that kind of learning works only for some students, only for certain topics, and there are other students that are really going to find a lot of meaning in these, these other projects, where they can actually have like a hands-on experience, where they can actually make a personal connection to someone who, who lived the history, they start to see themselves in the context of it, and they make something they're proud of. That's, that's so much of what Weintraub brought to new media communities is that everyone should make something that they want to exhibit publicly because most of what you produce in school is private like in elementary school they put stuff up around the room right but once you enter middle school and really high school it's like you you produce for your teacher and then your teacher grades it and then where does it go right does anyone ever look at it again in new media communities you're producing for yourself, for the teacher, and for the community, and in a few cases, like with the NPR podcast challenge for, you know, potentially for a national audience. And so I think we need to find how do you take that logic? Um, you know, I don't think every teacher should have their sophomores enter the podcast challenge, you know, but it's, it's like, how do you take that logic and, and filter that down? And I think that's what Da Vinci's doing, certainly the art department, the music department, computer science, those people had that figured out a long time ago. Um, but it's like, how do you bring that into, into the work? And then I think you can take a little bit of the old and then and bring in that new, too. Um, we'll see.